Welcome back to Focus. I'm Ron Cisco, and today I'd like to talk about platitudes. Conversationally, there's nothing I dislike less than hearing a platitude come out of someone's mouth. It's not your fault, per se. You get taught to do that. Things that rhyme, things that have a rhythm to them, things that, you know, they seem really catchy and snappy, those are the things that you want to re repeat. They're the things that advertising campaigns are built on, political campaigns, any, any, anything you want to attribute some sort of mainstream thought to, you create a slogan. And a slogan becomes a platitude when it becomes overused to the point where it stops being useful. But here's what I'm going to say to you. Anything that's easily repeatable is a platitude. I use a couple myself. I like to say be excellent to each other at the end of every podcast because I like the ideal of just being reminded that it's as simple as being, being good to someone else. But the truth is, when you hear it, you probably don't do anything about it. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a subtle reminder that if it's something you believe in, that maybe you should be doing it. But it's, it's, not, it's not changing the way you think. It doesn't, it doesn't replace anything in your, in your mind or your heart. But no matter how you're using it, and even in the case where I'm using it at the end of the podcast to, to close things out, it's important to remember that a platitude is a really a shortcut to not having to think. You've, you've come up with a thought process, you have reason, you have intent, you have a message, you have... There's something you want to define with a platitude. It's an attitude or a position, but it's done without the need to explain yourself, without the need to, to really process what you're saying. And the problem with that is that you're not directing your message to anyone in particular, you're just repeating the message that resonated with you. Now, I'm not saying that that's not useful, that that doesn't have a place in the world. It does, especially when it comes to you, especially when it comes to reminding you what you're doing or why it's worth doing something. It is what it is. Uh, happiness is where you find it. Platitudes are sometimes reminders for people to help them kind of point themselves back in a direction. Conversationally, however, that's where things become a little more complicated. There's an intellectual dishonesty in using a platitude to have a discussion with someone. It's, it's no longer a personal conversation that you are having with me or, or a discussion or a debate. You're now debating the tried and true method of words tested by millions, if not billions of people. I knew that there was a risk in covering this subject because... It's usually not my deal to, to touch politics or religion here. Usually like to talk about feeling good or self-improvement, but I think this is actually one of those positions that helps everyone, politically, religiously, in your personal life. It's about communication, and that's really what we're here about. This is all about communication. If you're really listening to the message of the podcast so far, there are definitely things where I talk about things that seem they're outside of the realm of communication. But the truth is... Communication starts with a good sense of self and, and a sense of position and a sense of what other people are feeling. And platitudes are so intellectually dishonest because it's a shield, it's a barrier that you've put up against another person during a discussion or a conversation where rather than directly engaging with that person, you've, you've said, these are the words that have worked on 7 million people. And I'm going to leave it here. Just as a demonstration of this situation, I guess I want to talk about gun control for a second. I know this is going to come up a lot because it's something that I talk about 
in my personal life a lot. But um, And whether or not this is your position, we could certainly talk about that too. But there are things that I hate about the gun control debate, regardless of the fact that I'm more pro-gun than pro-gun control. But at the same time, like I still believe in positions like I think we need longer uh, wait times. For the background checks system, needs a, a huge overhaul. There are, there are definitely things we could be doing to reduce the amount of the, the amount of unnecessary gun deaths. However, that position is too nuanced for the gun control debate. I cringe when I hear someone say, "I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried by six. Well, what what does that mean? Does that address the gun control debate? Does that talk about why other people should maybe not have access to firearms? Or is it just talking about you? Are you finding something, some defense that somebody created that applied for maybe their situation or maybe situations in general? When you say something like that, it no longer addresses the, the larger scope of what gun control is talking about. The problem is most firearm owners are responsible human beings. If you chalk that up to people who have uh, carry permits, concealed carry permits, which I know is another debate topic all entirely, those people are more uh, law-abiding than pretty much any other group of citizens you can find. But there's an inherent danger with the product that they are associated with. There are other other platitudes that are well-spoken about in the gun community that, that really resonate with people, but again, this is a good place for people to stop thinking. When you talk about gun control and maybe whether or not we should be doing a, a mental health testing and, and increasing the amount of mental health spending that we do in this country, the next thing to come out of someone's mouth is probably, well, when seconds count, the cops are minutes away. And I get the intent. I get what you're trying to say to me. But at the same time, it's not really a valid argument for most people. So does that mean we need licensure that's different for people who have training? Because let me tell you, I've done a lot of research on what home defense with a, a firearm is. I've done a lot of uh, uh, classes. I've, I've done some safety courses. I've done some uh, shooting courses. I've done some home defense courses. I've learned quite a bit in that arena. And I can tell you right now that I don't want the person next door to me to be using their pistol for home defense. I know that sounds a little crazy because that's usually what people say I bought a pistol for or a shotgun. Please don't use either of those things. Or if you do, make sure you're well-trained. And I think we'd all feel better if the person who was claiming to use the device for, health, uh, for, for self-defense were, were well-trained, were well-mannered, were um, completely understanding of what the consequences of them operating a firearm indoors is. One of the less well-known secrets of self-defense indoors is that actually rifles are, well, specifically the AR-15, is the best platform for uh, home defense. Why? The 5.56 cartridge tumbles when it strikes something. And if you get a, uh, a quality jacketed hollow point 5.56, and I know these are all scary terms, especially if the only exposure you have to firearms is, is uh, through the news, those those bullets are less likely to overpenetrate. And they're still likely to overpenetrate, but they're less likely to overpenetrate and hurt someone on the other side of your apartment wall or out of your house. It's, it's a safer device, but given the characterization of that weapon, it doesn't, doesn't hold that position in most of our lives. It's, it's just this thing that they talk about negatively on TV and understandably 
because those have been used in, in a few of the mass shootings recently. But look at how far this single conversation between me and myself has come in terms of the nuance of what, what a firearms debate should be. I sit on both sides of the fence. I understand the complexity of the issue. And I haven't boiled it down to one single platitude that I've decided was going to define my position on gun control. So the question I want to ask you here is whether or not this is actually an effective tool for any sort of conversation. Whenever you have a debate or a conversation with someone, it's an information exchange. You don't talk, well, I mean, for the most part, you can have empty conversations. It's absolutely possible. But you don't talk to other people for long periods of time without the intent of creating some sort of information exchange, whether it's a debate or a conversation, or even if you're in complete agreement with each other, to have a discussion with someone that you agree with at the most basic level, and then they realize that there's nuance and difference of opinion and position in, in the conversation that you're having with a person that you apparently agree with totally, is such an interesting uh, experience. It's something that you really need to have, especially in the generation we're in now, where it's so much easier to either ignore or block a person that you don't agree with. This kind of isolationism creates a rift between people intellectually. It's, it's impossible to have a good, solid discussion with someone on the internet because you, you can't have... I mean, it's great to have the tool to have uh, the ability to look up some, some information, statistics, when you need to. But at the same time, no one's looking to, to uh, create an argument that makes sense. They're just looking to create an argument that supports their position. What are you teaching with a platitude? At the end of the day, what we're talking about is confirmation bias. You don't regurgitate platitudes because you disagree with them. I mean, I am right now, but you know, you don't, you don't repeat them in a conversation. You don't commit them to memory because you, you want to uh, uh, fortify someone else's position. You only use it as a weapon, as a, well, again, as a shield to, to kind of separate yourself from another person intellectually or otherwise. Platitudes don't teach anyone anything. What, what can I learn? What can I learn from a platitude that, that stops all course of actual thought and, uh, and reduces our debate to hypotheticals? At what point am I supposed to take what you're presenting as information um, seriously? When seconds count, the police are only minutes away. Sounds great. But we're not, we're not even comparing statistics here. What are, what are the statistics behind this? Now, from a statistics standpoint, I'm sure that that actually supports that position. But rather than giving me real data to work with, all you've done is shut down the conversation. Because you don't repeat a platitude in order to, to continue a debate. You're not, we're not, we're not going to debate about the veracity of your platitude. When you repeat one of those things, what you're really saying is, this is the end of the conversation. And that's, that's really... Like the biggest danger of platitudes is it's all about confirmation bias. We're not, we're not looking for an intellectually honest way of expressing our positions on something. We're, we're looking at some way that, that says, okay, well, this works on 7 million people. 7 million people are able to repeat this, so this is now my position. That's, that's the shield that we set up. And I know I'm talking about this in circles, but I, I kind of really need to reiterate a couple of the, the purposes here. Um, and really the biggest one is that 
whenever you repeat a platitude, you've reduced yourself from the ability to, to create an individual thought, which is, by the way, the most beautiful thing we can do as human beings. Think about that for a second. You're, you were born, you were raised, you, you were educated, you were given experiences, and each of those, those uh, compilations of all of those things comes to build a different person. Two completely different people can be born in exactly the same situation and still have the same pop culture references and, and be able to relate to all the same things and yet still have two completely different positions. And I think it's such a, it's such a loss to, to look at something like that and say, instead of taking my command of the language that I've, I've learned, I'd rather use someone else's words. Like what a what a terrible thing to do, and and it's done completely with the intent of of stamping out what amounts to individual thought, and and creating just a bubble of support for one side or the other, for politics, or for religion, or sports teams, and and to stamp out individual thought, diff different positions, different experiences. It's just such a, a, a loss. It's such a loss. We're here. You know, you're, you're here. And you don't even get to speak for yourself. Platitudes are, are intellectual stop signs, and they're not a one-way stop sign. It's really like a four-way stop sign. When, uh, when someone brings one out, what's really happened in the conversation is someone has decided they are right. And here's the thing that they are saying. And they are unwilling to listen to any other position. This is why they have, they've uh, used that. Uh, un unfortunately, we come to those platitudes so quickly because it's, I'm, getting, I'm actually getting tired of the word platitude. We've, we've come to that idea so quickly because it's, it's, uh, it's easier. It's easy. We're all lazy. Most of us are lazy. We don't want to do all of the work. And having the same conversation over and over again. But that's what's necessary. And, and what do people think they're accomplishing when they do something like that? What they're really saying is, you need to stop talking. This is the end of the conversation. But that also means I'm not open to your input. I'm not open to others' inputs. I've already made up my mind. So this is also realizing that it's not just about whether or not you're supplying platitudes. Oh, that's the word again. You're not the one throwing these out. You might not be the problem. But the people you're having conversations with might be the problem. How can you change someone's mind? And I think, I think it's, it's possible to say, hey, look, I want to have a real discussion with you but I don't think you're actually able to communicate with me without using someone else's words. And all you're doing is, is trying to shut me down. So we're not having a real, real discussion. We're not having a real debate. You're not going to change my mind this way. And I'm certainly not going to change yours. I think there's a real comfort in finding a group of people that if you agree blindly with the rest of their positions, they'll support you when you feel backed into a corner, intellectually or otherwise.
see people wonder about whether or not I, I live record that. Yeah, there, there you go. So you gotta, you really gotta keep yourself from falling into uh, uh, the mode of, of repeating those things. But you also have to stop other people from using those on you. And I, I think um, a great way of doing that is, is to stop being so argumentative. We make a lot of jokes about it in, in uh, like political sciences on CNN, on Fox News. Both of those channels are starting to do that um, to, the, to the point where it's really gotten to the point of like, a, if you're not with us, then you're definitely against us situation. And that's, that's not helping anyone. Um, and it's kind of like one of those, um, those surveys. I don't know if you've ever taken one of those surveys where someone asks you, you know, uh, how we're doing great, good, bad, awful, I never want to see you again. They, you know, it could be one of those situations, but, but really what, what we're kind of doing here when, when someone's being argumentative is they're saying, how am I doing? Great, good, or I like to kill puppies. And then you've taken all the options away. Either you're agreeing with them or you're making yourself so uh, discreditable as a human being that, that you can't, um, you're not allowed to have an opinion in, in the public forum. I see this happening a lot in uh, in religion or or um, pol- political conversations, especially because because it's it's one of those like uh, questions: Are are you pro life or do you like to kill babies? But, you know, I find that question outrageous. You know, I don't. It's not it's not as simple as that for me. And we can't have a real good conversation of that because either I'm pro life and you win, or I'm a le- I, I like to kill babies and I have to admit to you that I'm a horrible person and and that I probably don't count anyway. And sometimes that doesn't that doesn't even have to uh, have a, a user participation in in the poll there. If I said something like the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist, some of you might recognize that as a quote from the Usual Suspects. Uh, there was actually it was written into a book called The Generous Gambler in 1864. Although the word the words were actually that the loveliest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist. That 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 quote that platitude is um is is a non-participant argumentative statement where either you acknowledge the existence of the devil or you don't and you've silently been condemned as a person under the influence of Satan. My, my uh, goal here is not to cut down anyone who believes in, in any sort of religion, but what I like to uh, kind of focus on there is really the, the idea there that I can convince myself this isn't a platitude toward you. I can convince myself that if you don't agree with me, then you are under the influence of the devil. Like, what, what an incredible thing for, for me to put myself on a pedestal above you. And I did that without your participation. I did, I did that without any sort of intellectual honesty. I created the trap that you didn't even have to fall into to support my own argument. I know I repeated myself a lot here, but, but the thing is, I really wanted to come back to a couple of points and how they related to uh, the, the, the idea of cutting off individual thought. That is, that is the theme here. When you repeat someone else's words, you are no longer capable of individual thought. The thought comes from the application of the words in your life. Your words are necessary. Your thoughts are necessary. Your perspective, 
your um, your your particular eyes on a problem, or or your your perspective on on any situation, is what's valuable, not someone else's. I don't need to hear someone else's words. I've probably heard them before. I want to hear yours. Focus is a podcast. We're supported on Patreon and exist, thankfully, on the uh, on the help of uh, of individuals. Vigilante, Anastasia Baberhausen, and, and the White Prince. Thank you again for your donations. I appreciate your support. Um, what we try to do here is is uh, kind of maintain a level of positivity, but also be more along the lines of introspection and uh, self help. If you have any questions or if there's anything you wanted to take discussion with, you can find my contacts on uh, focusbycisco.com, which is, again, supported by our Patreon subscribers, patrons, as it were. Uh, Otherwise, you can email me at ron at focusbycisco.com or tweet at me at at focusbycisco, S-I-S-K-O. If you decide to share this message with anyone, I hope you do so because it means something to you and not because you think someone else should hear it. I'll see you when the plot requires it. But until next time, be excellent to each other. And that was three platitudes in a row.